0: You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are just a little more than 24 hours away from the 2020 NBA draft. I've spent the last few days talking to NBA scouts, NBA execs, putting together a draft tiers, uh, which you may have listened to on Monday with Tony Jones. And I'm ready to unveil my final big board of the year. That's right, big board 4.0. And again, a reminder with the big board. The big board is a consensus of talking to a number of NBA scouts and executives over how they rank certain players on their boards. This does not mean that every team's board looks this way. In fact, a lot of them look really different. But as you aggregate the scores together, this is the big board based off of the intel that I've been getting from NBA teams and execs. And this is my final one of the year. And so this is how I see this draft after talking to so many NBA teams. And it starts at the top at number one, LaMelo Ball. He was there at number one in our first big board. He stays there in our final big board at one. And he's interesting because he's the most polarizing prospect in the draft from a, from a certain standpoint. When we were doing our tier column, and I was telling Tony Jones about this on our podcast on Monday, I had teams that had him ranked tier one, teams that had him ranked tier two, which was where most of the teams had him, teams that ranked him in tier three, and believe it or not, teams that ranked him in tier four. And that. That's a crazy spread for a guy that has the number one pick in the draft. And so much of it is an eye of the beholder sort of thing. The things that he does well are so unique. His ability to handle the ball, his ability to see the floor. A point guard in a 6'8 body is not something that comes along every day. The feel that he has, that instinctual way in which he plays the game, is something that is elite level for a prospect. But on the other hand, his poor three-point shooting, his lack of, of really any sort of defensive intensity. He's not, you know, a jump out of the gym athlete as well. And then there's this whole thing, which is really what I think is hurting him more than anything else, which is this whole ball stigma, right? And whether he is going to bring a circus with him when he comes into uh whoever drafts him at number one. That that just really turns off some some scouts and some teams who really just don't like his dad. I personally don't think that's fair to hold that against him. Uh, and you've heard a lot of things too about how's the workouts look. Some people say they're great. Some people said his interview wasn't really good. That he's that he's cocky. That he's been that he's been really shielded from real coaching. I mean, there's there's a ton of questions. But what he does well, you can't teach. And if he can show maturity, if he will accept coaching, if he works on his game, I think his ceiling is as high as anybody in the draft, and that's why he is number one and stays number one on my big board. At two is James Wiseman, center out of Memphis. This is where he's been, again, all year for us. He's moved around a lot for other people, but Wiseman, to me, still... In my opinion, has the ability to be a star in the league. Uh, the scouting sample obviously is extremely small, and so there's things that we just don't know about his work ethic, how he's going to handle adversity, you know, what his maturity level is like, you know, things like that. But the skill set, and it's an emerging one, is still there. And I, I I've gone back and forth just personally. All right, this is based off the consensus of scouts, but personally I'll whether he is actually number one on my, on my personal board. And, and the answer probably is yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of like a 1A, 1B sort of thing for me. But I think for teams, lots of teams see Wiseman as a potential impact player down the road. And look, the NBA has gotten away from focusing on big men. And I think in a lot of other drafts, he would have been the clear number one guy. I think if he'd played the full year at Memphis and played the way he did in those first couple of games, there's a decent chance that he would have been the clear number one guy. But those question marks are real. And the thing that I hope for James Wiseman, and I also hope this for LaMelo Ball, so much of this is going to be system dependent, right? Both of these players need to land on the right team that are going to develop them, that are going to give them minutes, that play to their strengths, that don't ask them to do things that really expose their weaknesses right now. And that's what's scary at the top of this draft, as you look at the teams that might be drafting these players can they provide that system and are they going to be patient with them and develop them? One one confidence I have, because I think most people have Wiseman going to the Warriors at two, as as do I um, in my mock, is that the Warriors, even though he is not on the same developmental curve as the rest of the team, Steve Kerr and company will put in the work to develop him and that this might be an actually great moment for him to be able to get some real minutes. My fear is... Is if that they end up draft or if they end up signing via free agency, a a veteran center that he doesn't get minutes. And I think development is critical for Wiseman right now. Considering how much time he missed last season, only playing three games for Memphis, he is going to need a lot of development. At three, Anthony Edwards, shooting guard out of Georgia. A guy who I think uh has again this super crazy high ceiling because of his athletic ability, his size, his toughness, his scores, mentality. But that basketball IQ question is just a big one. His inconsistency at Georgia, his indifference on the defensive end, his shot selection. And this is one of those things like where LaMelo Ball has something that's really hard to teach and you're not really you really can't teach something like that. It also makes me wonder, is Edwards going to grow into that? Is he going to grow into his field and his basketball IQ? There are there are people who think the answer is yes, that he reclassified, that he's one of the youngest players in this class, that he focused early on a lot on football and not basketball, and that he's just developmentally behind, but he'll get there. And there's other scouts that just don't think he'll get there. He is a guy, and John Hollinger and I have talked about this before, where Every team seems to have him in their top three. He has like the narrowest range of like anybody in this draft, but no one seems that excited to take him, which is really fascinating. At four, it's Tyrese Halliburton. He stays at four on our big board, a guy that I personally really like, and I think a lot of teams really love him. He has maybe the highest floor of anybody in this draft. And then you know the question is his ceiling and his versatility, his feel for the game, his ability to create offense for himself and his teammates. He's ready to step in right now. High culture guy, uh, people really love what he brings to the table on that end. I really think that Halliburton is is as close as we're gonna get in the draft to like a like cannot fail type of prospect. His lack of strength, his lack of elite athleticism, a little bit of a funky shot, those are all question marks about him. But I I think whoever gets him is going to get one of the steals of the draft. I'm personally one of those people that say, even if Golden State wanted to pull the trigger at two, I don't have a problem with them taking Halliburton that high. But I think he's probably more likely to go in the 4-10 to range. At five, this is new, Patrick Williams the forward out of Florida State the freshman moves all the way up to 5 and look Patrick Williams has been in our top 10 all year i don't think the the uh, narrative that he has suddenly just been rising on draft boards the last month is is really true scouts that that i talked to had pegged him as a top 10 pick really from when i started really beginning doing this uh, in in the winter and I think that he is going to continue to be the guy that after Ball, Wiseman, and Edwards that scouts consider has the biggest upside of anybody left in this draft. I am a little surprised that he's clawed his way up over maybe some more proven prospects um, at the end of the draft, but I'd also I think Reveals the value proposition that many NBA teams have, which is that we want a star if we're drafting in the top five. Some of these other prospects, as good and as solid and as big a contributors as they might be in the NBA, they may not be stars. But people see a potential stardom from Patrick Williams. I have him at five, but there is talk that he is in consideration for the number four pick, the Chicago Bulls as well. I have his draft range at four to 11. On Yeka Akongwu out of USC, the big man stays at six. And he stays there because this is a guy a little bit like Halliburton, that you know what he brings to the table, defensive versatility. Um, he is going to get it done as a rebounder or as a shot blocker. I think he can defend multiple positions on the floor. He's got good good fit, foot speed. And he's got an emerging offensive game. While I certainly wouldn't draft him because of his offense, I think that he can do more than what he showed at USC. I think he showed enough that teams can get comfortable with the fact that he isn't going to be a defensive liability on the floor, and he might be more than that. And he's just a kind of modern NBA center right now. And there are a few teams that like Okongwu better than they like Wiseman, for example. And I think that there's a good chance that he leapfrogs a couple of people and maybe goes three to Charlotte uh, because if Charlotte misses out on James Wiseman – a Kongwu is probably the best fit for their team. And maybe they don't want to roll the dice on LaMelo Ball if he's there. So I have his draft range right now at 3. And the floor is Washington at 9. At 7, Killian Hayes, the French point guard who played in Germany last year. Born in the United States. So maybe it's not fair to call him French. He is another one of these players, like Halliburton, like A Kongwu where maybe the ceiling isn't as high as some of the other prospects, but the floor seems really high for him. He dramatically improved as a player this year. He can play multiple positions on the floor. His jump shot didn't go in at the rate that you'd like. He only shot 29% from three, but he shot 87% from the free throw line, and his form looks really, really good right now. High basketball IQ guy, does so many things on the floor right now. I think that Killian Hayes might be, again in my opinion, slightly underrated. I know that there's been talk that maybe the reason he's done so well is that his team was out there trying to showcase him in ways that maybe other international teams typically don't do. I didn't get that sense uh, from watching the team or watching what Hayes still had to do against you know, elite talent in Europe. I think that he's a very, very safe selection the team that drafts him and I think that he's going to be a starter uh, in the league for a really long time and so he's number seven on my board and again his range draft range four to twelve which is sort of wide at this point in the draft but I think that right now and a lot of mock drafts and as I'm starting to put together mock draft 3.0 my final mock draft that will come out on Wednesday morning it seems like he might be trending down towards seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe even eleven or twelve. At eight, it's Obi Toppin, arguably maybe the best college basketball player in the country last year. The power forward out of Dayton, old sophomore at 22 years old, bouncy. Some people comparing him to Mari Stoudemire, I think that might be a little much. People that don't love him, comparing him to Arizona's Derrick Williams, who went number two in the draft and didn't do much in the NBA. I'm not sure that either of those are the fair comparisons. Maybe you're going to put him somewhere in between. Uh, defensively, I think is the big question for Topper right now. We know that he's going to bring it offensively. He showed the ability to stretch the floor a little bit. He's certainly ability uh, the ability to finish above the rim. Uh, is exciting. He's going to be exciting in transition. But is he going to be able to defend in the NBA? I think that is the biggest question mark about him right now. His age, probably the other thing that's hurting his draft stock a little bit. I have his draft range right now four, as high as the Bulls and all the way down to 10. I think he goes somewhere in that six spot range. At nine, it's the Florida State Wing, Devin Vassell. He's probably looking at Patrick Williams and saying, man, I had a better better season than you did. But he's a sophomore, uh, the the wing out of Florida State. And, you know, again, another intriguing player who's got a skill set that's really tr- tailor-made for today's NBA. Wings matter um, in the league right now. He's got elite shooting, defensive ability, uh, can, again, play multiple positions on the floor. Maybe, again, not like the ceiling, the super high ceiling that you want from a prospect at this point in the draft, but Vassell is just such a perfect fit in the league. I have his range right now between six and 13, which is sort of a a wide range. That's a seven spot range. Could go as high as Atlanta. I don't think he gets past the New Orleans Pelicans at 13. At 10, he remains at 10. Denny Avdia, the forward out of Maccabi Tel Aviv, Israel, who is, again, one of these polarizing prospects. And, you know, it's really interesting what you see in Avdia. He, he plays very aggressive aggressively. He's confident. He's a versatile scorer. He can handle the ball a little bit. He shot the ball pretty well after his team came back and played a bit after uh, COVID and got his shooting percentage as a three-point shooter up to 39%. On the downside, he shoots 58% as a free throw shooter. That's a usually scary sign as far as when you're going to project the player in the draft. Two, I think another thing that is concerning about them is his level of competition. In Israel, the competition is okay. It's solid, and he did pretty well when he went and played EuroLeague. He didn't really have an impact uh, on the floor. He also doesn't have a long wingspan. I think there's also questions about exactly who he guards at the next level. He's getting looked. As high as four from the Bulls, Cleveland's giving him a serious look at at five as well. If he slides past those two uh, teams, though, he could be in for a little bit of a draft night slide, as I don't see Atlanta selecting him at six. I'm not sure Detroit will take him at seven. I doubt the Knicks take him at eight. Washington is probably his next best bet um, at nine or perhaps Phoenix at ten. At eleven. It's Isaac Okoro, again, another somewhat polarizing prospect, the wing out of Auburn freshman, hands down, in my opinion, as as a wing player, the best defender uh, in this draft. Elite athlete, strong, can shut down multiple positions on the floor, plays with such grit and energy, has a high basketball IQ. I think he really sees and understands the game well. And the question really is he's got a broken jump shot. He shot 28%, 28% from 3, only 67% from the free throw line. It's it's not good. I'm not sure it's going to get better anytime soon. And putting a wing on the floor this high in the draft uh, that isn't going to be able to hit shots is a major question mark. Now look, there there are his defenders out there and there are NBA teams that say, "Look, I think from the mid-range, he showed some improvement. I think he's going to be able to figure it out and be a passable shooter uh, at the next level. I've heard some Andre Iguodala sort of comparisons uh, to him. And if, if all that's true, if he hits his upside, then he's low on this board. His draft range is 6-15. to 15. I, I think, again, teams are hedging a little bit on Okoro that he might not hit his upside because of that shooting, those shooting woes. I really like him. As a player, but I'm also scared about what he brings uh, from the offensive end. And so I actually think this draft range where he's at as 11 is probably pretty appropriate. I have his draft range as 6 to 15. Again, a very wide range uh, for a prospect right now. But this, again, teams are all over the board of how they see him. At 12, RJ Hampton stays. The wing who played in New Zealand last year. One of the best athletes in this draft. Just an absolutely explosive leaper. Can play multiple positions on the floor. Uh, again, like Okuro, it's that jumper. He shot 29% from three, 67% from the free throw line. It scares people. Is he going to be able to pick it up enough to really be able to contribute on the offensive end uh, for teams? That's why he slides a little bit on this in this draft as well. Because like Okura, Okuro, the... All of the athletic markers are there for Hampton to be a really good player in the NBA. But he slides to 12. I have him in the 10 to 20 range on draft night. Kira Lewis Jr., the point guard sophomore out of Alabama, lands at 13 in our final big board of the year. His combination of speed, his ability to create the shot for himself. He shot decently at 36.6%. From the three-point line, racked up almost two steals a game uh, for Alabama. Also very young. uh, Young for his class, actually. He's about the same age as most of the freshmen, but now he has two years of experience uh, in Alabama. And he seems to be a guy that has been consistently high on teams boards i think phoenix at 10 even though they just made a trade for chris paul they also traded away ricky rubio in that deal and so again developing a younger long-term point guard starter uh, for that team uh, he could go as high as 10. boston has a a lot of interest in him at 14 as well and so that's another potential place um, that he could land I really like Lewis's junior game. I think this is a great spot for him at 13. Cedric Bay, the wing out of Villanova, sophomore, ends at 14. He really had his big leap on our board uh, during Big Board 3.0 as it became clear talking to teams. That they saw him as, again, one of these really high floor, maybe a little bit lower ceiling, but a guy that's just going to stick in the league for a long time. He can shoot the basketball. He can defend multiple positions. Uh, He has got a good size uh, for his position. I think that he, again, is a modern NBA wing, and that's really intriguing to teams and why he is going where he is going in this draft. He's getting looks uh, from... As high as San Antonio at 11. The Sacramento Kings are looking at him at 12. New Orleans looking at him at 13. He's got a number of places that he could end up uh, landing in the late lottery. Well, before I forget, I want to remind you that tomorrow a couple of cool things are going to happen. One, I'm going to release in the morning, Mock Draft 3.0. But then after that, draft night, the Locked On Podcast Network is going to have live draft coverage this year on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitch, on Locked On Live. It's going to be the only place you're going to be able to find me working with David Locke as we do analysis of the entire draft. We're going to start about 30 minutes before the draft. We're going to go pick by pick through the entire draft. Brad Rowland on Locked On Hawks is going to join us as well, as well as every Locked On NBA podcast host breaking down uh, their team's pick that night, I think it's actually going to be fun. It's going to be lively. You're going to hear a lot of different voices uh, in the room. Uh, I'm going to provide analysis for every pick. So make sure that you tune in to the Locked On Podcast Network's Locked On Live on Draft Night. And I'm I'm really excited to to be able to do this with David Locke, who's just the fantastic host and and the head of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can also find everything that we're doing here on Big Board 4.0. You'll be able to find Mock Draft 3.0 tomorrow on my website at nbabigboard.com. I'm a runner. And every day, as I get to about mile eight or nine, my body starts to slow down. My muscles start tightening up. I need to break through a wall. And that's why I'm so excited about Built Bar's new product, Built Go, a solution to breaking through your wall. So what is your wall? And what is Built Go? Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink. But the energy is not fake. It's lasting. It's natural. It's easy to take in 1.5 ounce packages. You put it in your briefcase or your golf bag or your pocket to get throughout the day. It's the best workout gel on the market. And here's the thing, it is delicious. Much like the Built Bar, it tastes great. It has three delicious flavors peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, chocolate milk. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine, better results. It's filled with protein. It's amazing stuff. So why don't you try it out? Visit builtgo.com and use promo code locked L O C K E D. And you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. And we are back talking 2020 final big board 4.0 of the year. I'm really excited. I think that this draft has a lot of strength in the middle of the draft. It's, it is weak at top. And I know there's a lot of question marks there at the top of the draft. But I think now that we're in this range, it's getting stronger. We've gone through the first 14 picks in the draft, essentially the lottery. Uh, in this segment, we're going to go th- through picks 15 through 30. And then our last segment, we're going to actually do the second round. And I'm going to talk about 30 other players um, that have the potential to be drafted in the second round at 15 aaron neesmith the wing out of vanderbilt there's a run on wings uh, right now in our big board maybe the best shooter in this draft uh, shot 52 percent um from three that's the appeal uh, shot uh, scored 23 points a game as well for vanderbilt questions about what else he does on the floor drops him a little bit below a guy like bay for example is he's not a great athlete? Is who is he going to defend at the next level? I I don't think he's going to be an awful defender, but you really are drafting him for the shooting. But it just turns out in the modern NBA that shooting really matters, and and I think that that alone warrants him a pick in this range at 16. It's Tyrese Maxey, shooting guard out of Kentucky, the freshman. He had an okay year for Kentucky, and I think that that's probably the you know hurt him a little bit. I think at the start of the year, a lot of teams had him as a top 10 pick, but you know, there's things that aren't going his way. shot 29% from three. He's not like the world's greatest athlete. Uh, Kentucky tried to play him on the ball a little bit, which I think is what a lot of teams hope that he'll be able to do at the NBA level, but you know, he had mixed results there as well. On the plus side, works his butt off, plays hard, shot 83% from the free throw line, which... Hopefully means that he's going to be able to improve his jump shot. Average 3.2 assists a game. So maybe he is going to be able to develop some on-the-ball characteristics. Um, certainly from a culture standpoint, this guy that's intriguing. Um, I have his draft range, like nee Smith from 10 to 20. At 17, it's Maryland big man Jalen Smith who I think is the modern NBA big because of his ability to play on the perimeter or play in the p- the paint. He averaged 2.1 steals a game, 1.8 blocks a game, which is really interesting. Was a nine rebound a game guy and shot it from three uh, really well. He lacks strength uh, in his base to be a really good defender in the paint. I think that's a question mark for teams. And I think that the other question about him, again, is maybe his lateral quickness and exactly how he's going to guard on the perimeter. But certainly on the offensive end, he can get it done on the perimeter and in the paint. At 18, Jaden McDaniels, the wing out of Washington. Freshman, I keep saying polarizing, but in this particular case, again, it just really is true. One of the more polarizing prospects in the draft. Top five talent, no question. Second round production at Washington uh, during his freshman season. And so it kind of balances out here at 18. You know, he's got all the tools, the the size, the length, the athleticism. He can shoot the basketball. He can handle the basketball. There. He's got all the skill set. How it translates to an NBA game is a much, much bigger question mark. It certainly didn't look the part at Washington. He looked immature a lot of times. But if he hits, he would hit really big. And because of that, there are a lot of teams that are considering him in that 15 to 25 range. He may go... Lower on the 25 range, he may go higher in the 15. I know that there's a lot of teams that are saying if he's there, we'd have to seriously consider him at our pick. So he lands at 18, but more, one of the more fluid guys in this draft right now. If he slides in the late 20s on draft night, I won't be shocked. If someone were to like even sneak in and take him in the late lottery, again, it wouldn't shock me. At 19, Precious Ochoa, the forward out of Memphis, who maybe the best big defender in the draft. He can probably guard four, maybe five positions. He's an excellent athlete, has great foot speed, good rebounder, good shot blocker, can just do so many things well on the defensive end of the court. It's on the offensive end of the court that there are major question marks about him. Uh, Part of the problem with him is that he doesn't seem to know that, he is limited offensively. That's not the way that he attacks the game from the offensive end. And because of that, teams wonder whether it's not just that he might be a liability offensively, but that he's not going to understand his role and how to play at the next level. That's the concern uh, that I hear from teams as well. He's another guy that seems to be all over the place. There's, I have his draft range right now, 15 to 25. If you want a spot or two higher than that, that wouldn't shock me. If he went a spot or two lower than that as well. Again, the, just the major question marks on the on the offensive end, but the defensive end is stellar. At 20, it's Alekjez Pokashevsky, the rail-thin big man out of Serbia, who, you're going to hear this word a lot in this podcast, again, is a polarizing prospect. Why? He can really shoot the basketball. He's a great passer, high, high basketball IQ. His body just is is terrible. He is a slight frame. I just don't know how he's going to really even in an NBA strength and training program be able to add to that frame. And there's some people that have dug into some intel uh in Serbia and wonder a little bit again about his development and how hard he's going to work and what have you. There's a few teams that are said to have love him. I think that given this draft and Again, the upside, and even though Pokushevsky doesn't really want to stay in Europe and develop, maybe a team can convince him to do so. I have him in the 15 to 20 range, uh, 15 to 25 range again. At 21, it's Desmond Bain, our first senior off the board, the shooting guard out of Texas, Christian, one of the few seniors uh, actually uh, in our uh, big board. Average 16 points a game, six rebounds a game, four assists a game. Here's a number that really stands out, shot 44% from three. He's tough, he competes, he defends. He doesn't have ideal size or athleticism for his position, which is partly why he drops a little bit. He's also 22 years old, and we know that at a certain level, that is going to affect your draft stock as well. But there seems to be a lot of teams that are intrigued with his ability to come in and help right now on both ends of the court, I've heard him as high as 17, and I don't know that he slides past you know, a team like Utah, for example, at 23. Uh, I have his draft range right now is 18 to 25. At 22, here's one of our late risers, a guy who uh, moved up significantly from big board 3.0 to 4.0, and that's Isaiah Stewart, uh, the freshman center out of Washington, who I just think teams are becoming more and more comfortable with as they get close to the draft. He actually had a really good freshman season. He averaged 17 points a game, nine rebounds a game, two blocks a game, shot, uh, shot it well from the field, actually shot uh, shot it well from the free throw line as well, and shows some ability uh, to stretch the floor. He, he doesn't have elite size uh, or athleticism, and those are two big knocks against him, but he does have freaky Elite length at, at the NBA combine, he measured a wingspan of 74.75, so nearly seven foot five, uh, even though he measured around six foot seven uh, without shoes. That's a crazy, crazy uh, wingspan, and why some teams seem to be uh, really intrigued by what he can do. You know, it's really interesting because he he brings all of this energy. He is a hard worker. He's very coachable. Teams really like him. It's, again, is his game. The NBA moved on past these sorts of interior low post uh, players like Stewart. That's why he's at 22 and not at 12, because his production probably uh, insinuates that he should go higher uh, in this draft. But a guy that I thought was on the kind of first round bubble earlier that now seems like he's going to be a lock to be selected in the first round and, and may even sneak up into the teens. I have his draft range right now at 18 to 25. At 23, he slides a little bit in this last a big board. Tyrell Terry, the point guard out of Stanford, who really shoots the ball well. And that's the part that he's going to bring to the game. He's got unlimited... Unlimited range on his jump shot, lack size, strength, elite passing ability. I think teams worry that he's not really a point guard, that maybe he's Seth Curry. But at what point does a Seth Curry, not a Steph Curry, a Seth Curry go in this draft? He did measure a little bit taller than expected. He put on some weight and some strength. He's got a negative wingspan, though, at 6'1.75, uh, which is certainly not something that you want. And there are major, major questions about who he's going to be able to defend in the NBA. That all seems to be lowering his draft stock a little bit right now. I have him in the 17 to 27 range. Minnesota uh, is, is there looking at him at 17, but he could slide later into the first round. At 24, Leandro Bomaro, this interesting guard, Plays in Barcelona, out of Argentina. Played for the first team in Barcelona uh, this year. Uh, averaged eight points a game, two point five assists a game. You may say, "Oh, those numbers aren't really great," but you remember he's playing now for the senior team uh, for Barcelona, and that makes a big difference. That league is considerably better uh, than anything that's happening in college basketball, and and frankly, maybe the best league in the world outside of the NBA. He's got a great feel for the game. He's tough. He has elite passing ability. He he's got a really sort of herky jerky game. Uh, some people have said that they he reminds them of a young Amanu Ginobili. Other teams are concerned that he shot 27% uh, from the th- uh, from from three, uh, and that he doesn't really have elite athleticism. It's it's all about style, and that maybe he's not going to be able to pop at the next level. Uh, he's got a contract with Barcelona. I don't think he's going to be in the NBA next season, and it might actually be two seasons before he gets here. And so he's one of the only real draft and stash prospects that, from an international standpoint in this draft, consider, considering uh, for example, Killian Hayes, uh, and a guy that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, Theo Maladon, all actually want to come to the NBA next year. So for teams that have multiple picks, uh, Bomaro certainly seems like a guy... Um, who could could end up benefiting from that. His draft range is 18 to 25. Dallas is a team to watch um, potentially for him at 18. At 25, it's Josh Green, the wing at freshman out of Arizona, defends multiple positions, tested as one of the best athletes in the draft at the NBA Combine, plays really hard on both ends of the floor. Question is offense, Shot 36% from three, which isn't bad. But I think a lot of questions about his jump shot, um, his ability to create his own shot is a question mark. And there's some scouts that say, look, his reputation as an elite defender is a little bit over uh, overstated. Uh, and as you watch the tape, there are times that Josh Green, in one-on-one sort of defensive situations, uh, seems to struggle uh, with quicker players. I have his draft range right now at 20 to 30, I don't think he slides out of the first round. At 26, it's Malachi Flynn, the point guard junior out of San Diego State, who doesn't fit the profile that NBA is typically looking for from a, from a, a, a physical standpoint, just can flat out ball. He's 6'2 with a 6'3 wingspan. He's not an elite athlete, but he knows how to play the game. He can score, he can pass, he he digs in on the defensive end, shot 37% from three. Just the guy that I think is one of those guys that, okay, you, you look at the stats, and you're like, oh, that's okay, but then when you watch him on the floor, he really pops. I think he's going to be the type of point guard that actually can be one of the few guys in this draft that can step in right now and help a team play, and that's going to be really intriguing uh, for teams drafting later in this draft that need that sort of prospect. Right below him at 27 is Cole Anthony, the guard freshman out of North Carolina who many people thought might be a top five, top 10 pick in this draft before the college season started. Battled some injuries, had an up and down season uh, for North Carolina. His numbers look okay, 18.5 points a game, 5.7 rebounds a game, uh, 35% from three. But I think teams see him more as a scorer than a, uh, than a point guard. I think there's questions about his defense. I think there's questions about whether he's peaked uh, as a high school player. His draft range right now is 20 to 30. I think that's a surprise for him and his camp. I think that they are starting to come to grips with the fact that, that he may slide into this range. It's possible he may go a few steps higher than that, but given the interest in some of the other point guards in this draft, uh, I think that that's probably the more appropriate uh, place for him. At 28, it's Theo Maladon, the guard out of France, who's a big point guard, mentored by Tony Parker, has good feel for the game, pretty good shooter, doesn't have elite quickness or explosion for a point guard. I think that's going to be the big question and why he slides a little bit. Had it, had, it, had a solid season. Uh, this year uh, in France but nothing that like blows you away 7.3 points a game 2.7 assists a game I think probably coming in to the start of the season if scouts would have told you which between Killian Hayes and Theo Maladon is the guy that's going to go highest in this draft they would have said Maladon but Killian Hayes dramatically improved uh, this year while I think Theo was a little bit more stagnant as a player and that's why he slides a little bit lower in the draft he also though he's an international player really wants to come to the league this year doesn't want to be a draft and stash prospect so keep that in mind if you're slotting him towards a team as a potential draft and stash at 29 it's vernon carey jr the center out of duke freshman one of the highest rated players uh, in the country when it comes to uh, high school prospects, but and had a really strong season at Duke at 18 points a game, nine rebounds a game, uh, one and a half blocks a game. Shot 38% from three, but in limited, uh, limited stretches. The big thing about Kerry Jr. that has actually caused his draft stock to rise recently uh, is that he's gotten much better shape. He's lost Depending on who you talk to, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 pounds, that's going to help a lot with his mobility, his ability to guard fours uh, in the league. I think he, again, a little bit like Isaiah Stewart, was considered a bit of a dinosaur as far as a player who maybe his game just doesn't translate well into the NBA anymore as more of an interior low post scorer. But now that Kerry Jr. has lost that weight, he's been shooting the ball really well in workouts um, and is down to 240. I think that he is a much more intriguing prospect in the first round. I have his draft range right now between 20 and 35. We round out the first round with Arizona big man freshman Zeke Naji, An athletic big man, strong rebounder, plays with a lot of energy, shows offensive ability both in the paint and, and further away from the basket. Doesn't have great lateral quickness, had a really low shot block rate, and uh, I think that was a major question. So-so feel. Uh, is a guy, I think he's more of a physical specimen than necessarily you know, this guy that is going to be a modern big that has a great feel on the offensive end. But he's done really well in workouts. Teams have been uh, very impressed with him. I know there's teams higher in the 20s and the high 20s, and even in the late teens that have considered him. I think it's more likely that he's going to probably fall in the 25 to 35 range on draft night, Uh, but a guy to watch out for. When we come back... We're going to talk about picks 31 through 60 on our NBA Big Board, our final Big Board 4.0, just a day before the 2020 NBA draft. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we are back talking our final big board, big board 4.0 for the 2020 NBA draft. And you can follow along if you want to read the big board, read the scouting projections, uh, look at scouting reports, stats, all that stuff at NBABigBoard.com, where you can find that as well as our mock drafts. Uh, our draft tiers column that we did on Monday uh, with Tony Jones, that I really think uh, people should check out. It's actually my favorite way to be able to rank the draft. We also had a great podcast on that at Monday, again with the Athletics Tony Jones, if you're interested. Now we're going to dig into the second round. And the first five, six, seven guys that we're going to talk about could absolutely be first round prospects. They're on what I call the first round bubble, along with some of the guys in the late 20s that I talked about that could end up sliding into the second round. And it starts at 31 with Robert Woodward III, the athletic small forward out of Mississippi State. He's a sophomore. He looks the part of the three and D player, lacks offensive production, somewhat questionable feel, uh, shot it pretty well at 43%. uh, And he's just gonna be a guy that athletically pops and can he figure out the rest of his game uh, besides the athleticism? He's only 20 years old, which is, which is helpful. Has a 7'2 wingspan, which is really intriguing for a guy that's six foot seven. A guy, and I keep saying this word, and I know you're sick of it, but a guy that's been a bit polarizing with scouts, with some scouts having him in the 20s, some scouts have him in the 40s. They seem to be all over the place on him. He's definitely intriguing and definitely getting some looks. In the 20s, uh, Utah is a team I think that has uh, spent some time uh, looking on, looking at him. I think he could actually make an interesting pick for the uh, Pelicans uh, now that they've picked up Milwaukee's uh, pick at 24 as well. At 32, John Hollinger of the Athletic, uh, my my fearless co-host, has been tooting his horn all year. I think John has him like in the in the teens, uh, in the early teens, uh, on his. Uh, big board, And I, to be honest, that, you know, I watched the tape. I listened to what John had to say. I I don't understand why he's this low, because I think Paul Reed might be next to Precious, the best big defender uh, in this draft. But he does something that Precious doesn't do. And that's that he I think he's a much better offensive player than Precious is. He's not a polished offensive player. I don't think you're going to have big time scoring out of him. But I think that he's going to be able to hold his own on that end. He's got a decent sort of mid-range game. He's got a nice touch around the basket. And even stretched it out to the three-point line. Shot 30% uh, from three. That's not great. But I think it's enough to make him really intriguing. I think that you know he probably suffers from, from playing at DePaul. And I think that's part of it. And the fact that he wasn't a highly recruited or highly ranked player coming out of high school. But I really... I really like Paul Reed. I think his range is somewhere between 25 and 30, 35. Devon Dotson, the guard out of Kansas, sophomore guard, big-time scorer, speedy, loves getting to the basket, just the so-so shooter, undersized for his position because I don't really think he thinks or plays like a point guard. Instant energy off the bench. Another guy that's getting looks in the late first round as well but might slide into the second. At 34, Tyler Bay, the forward out of Colorado, kind of played power forward at Colorado, actually, even though he's 6'7". But he is one of the league's best athletes, tested off the charts in the NBA draft combine, explosive. And he's got those really long arms, and and you can see that in that he had to average nine rebounds a game uh, for Colorado, despite being 6'7". Uh, was decent shot blocker, uh, decent defender as well. Offensively, he's still a work in progress and partly why he's sliding a little bit in the draft. At 35, Udoku Azabuke, the big Kansas center who measured off the charts at the NBA draft combine, 6'11 and a half in shoes, 7'7 and a quarter wingspan, 260 pounds, he's a monster, and you see that in his field goal percentage, nearly 75% shot from the field as a rebounder, as a shot blocker. He's not gonna provide mutts on the offensive end, and there's those free throw issues which are irritating and annoying. Uh, He shot 44% from the free throw line, and so there's gonna be a hack as a bouquet Uh, Chant going on whenever he's in the game. But as a backup center with his athleticism, his mobility, his strength, I think teams are sleeping on him a little bit. To me, I think he should probably be a first rounder. Not sure that he's going to crack the first round, but he should be around maybe somewhere in the second, early in the second. At 36, Xavier Tillman, the big man out of Michigan State Jr. His numbers don't blow you away other than he was a really good rebounder. Uh, And it was a decent shot blocker, but it's the high basketball IQ, it's great passing skills, it's defensive skills, it's his ability to do so many things on the court that I think are really intriguing uh, right now for uh, Tillman, and just one of these high character, high quality guys, uh, a product of Michigan State, has a long wingspan, again, not a sexy prospect, but a guy who probably is going to stay in the league for a long time and contribute. He's at 36, but again, another guy that I've heard some teams talk about as a late first-round prospect. Jamius Ramsey at 37 out of Texas Tech, a freshman who can score from anywhere on the floor but is still pretty raw. Some teams had him you know, fairly high in the first round for a while before kind of cooling off on him a little bit. He shot at 42% from three, which is intriguing kind of a volume score. I think there's teams that question his maturity a little bit, um, question his size. he only averaged he only measured six three and three quarters in uh, in shoes uh, with a 66 six wingspan and and really is much more of a two guard than a point guard at the next level. his draft range I have at 25 to 40. at 38 it's Elijah Hughes, the junior shooting guard out of Syracuse, another guy that John hollinger has been really high on all year. I also like a lot. Had a really great junior season uh, for Syracuse, averaging 19 points a game. Shot 34% from three. Uh, every time a Syracuse player is in this draft, there's going to be questions about his defensive ability because they all they do is play zone uh, at Syracuse. And so you're always going to hear, I'm not sure whether he can play defense. But I think he really came on uh, as a junior and a guy that, again, if he slides into the first round, I wouldn't be uh, totally shocked. Probably the last guy. That I'm going to talk about as a potential first round guy with maybe one exception a little bit later on the big board is Peyton Pritchard, uh, the senior point guard out of Oregon, who just had a monster season as a senior for Oregon, averaged 20 points a game, five and a half assists a game, four and a half rebounds a game, shot 41% from three. And that was the big number that changed his draft projection pretty significantly. Uh, Before, he's the solid playmaker, the tough, gritty guy, but his ability to shoot the basketball this year, I think, moved him up uh, considerably for a number of teams. And while he might end up surprising some people and getting his name called in the late first round or early second round, I have his draft range right now at 25 to 45. After this point, I'm skeptical that any of these prospects are likely to be guys that is going that are going to have uh, a chance at getting in the first round. You know, maybe I could be wrong, wrong, and one of these guys is going to surprise me. But just in all the teams that I was talking to, these guys that we're going to talk about next, uh, with with one exception, weren't ever really mentioned to me as potential first round prospects. All of them mentioned as intriguing second round prospects. And it starts at forty with Trey Jones, the point guard, uh, sophomore out of Duke, who does everything good but maybe nothing great and his lack of elite size and athleticism raised some serious questions about what he's going to be is he just a serviceable backup point guard uh, or is he going to be a guy that can maybe do more than that but look at 40 to be able to get a serviceable backup point guard I think is a great steal and I think Trey Jones is so steady he finds a way to stick in the league at 41 it's Daniel Arturo The sophomore center out of Minnesota, who actually had a really good season for Minnesota, averaged 20 points a game, 11 rebounds a game, two blocks a game, shot 36% from three. And, you know, he's raw as far as his feel for the game goes, but he's got a pretty big potential. And I think it's really interesting that 6'10 with a 7'2 wingspan, I I thought this was a guy that I was going to hear his name more uh, as a potential first rounder, just haven't heard it. I think there's a lot of crowding right now with those sorts of bigs and and teams maybe just getting a little bit more excited about some guys more than others. At 42, Jordan Ora, the wing junior out of Louisville, who if you're going uh, to take him, you're going to take him because he can really shoot the basketball. Uh, he's got strength. He's got length. But it's that shooting ability for a player his size that I think makes him intriguing he he doesn't have the greatest feel for the game. There's definitely some questionable shot selection going on there in defense. But at 18 points a game, sh- shooting 40% from three, and then when you look at his size, 6'7", six, 6'10", six, wingspan, I think he's an interesting prospect in the second round. At 43, Isaiah Joe, shooting guard sophomore out of Arkansas, a guy that some some teams argue might be the best shooter in this draft, and you look and say, Well, he shot 34% from three, but you look at the volume, and this guy took a ton of threes, and you look at that free throw percentage at 89%. And, you know, Joe, as a sharpshooter, I'm a little bit, again, surprised that he's this low. Uh, because he does that so well. He is coming off knee surgery, and that's a big question mark. And and there isn't a lot of versatility there. He's, he's a shooter. That's why you draft him. I'm not sure what he adds on either end of the ball beyond that. But given the prominence of shooting in the league, I think he's an interesting prospect at 43. At 44, it's Cassius Winston, the senior point guard out of Michigan State, who was one of the single best college basketball players in the country as a senior, He's a winner, has a great feel for the game and was a lights out shooter for Michigan State shooting 43% uh, from three. He's got like all the intangibles. You'll see winner, you'll see gritty, committed, you know, feel for the game. It's his lack of size. He's six one. Uh, it's his lack of athleticism. And, You know, we talk about guys and say, okay, they're not an elite athlete. But occasionally we run across the guy that that measures as a is a poor NBA athlete. And that was Winston at the NBA draft combine because he tested as the worst guard athletically in the last decade, the worst guard athletically in the last decade on his vertical jump and his three quarter sprint numbers um, in the combine. And that's going to limit his role really on both ends. Uh, of the ball. And so it's you know it's one thing to say okay you know he doesn't pop or he doesn't explode. It's another to say that literally most of the centers in this draft could outperform you on these athletic tests. That's going to make it tough for him to make that transition to the next level. But for teams that say hey, look at his heart, look at his numbers, look what he did at Michigan State. That's all there. I don't think the athletic testing is everything, but it is a pretty red flag at a player his size. At 45, the guard out of Charleston, the senior, Grant Riller, who averages 22 points a game, shot 36% from three, was a, just a big-time scorer at a small school, can light it up anywhere on the floor, tested all right athletically uh, as well at the combine. It's just a question of, you know, what is he? He doesn't really have elite passing ability. He, he's probably more a two than a one, but he measured just one. Uh, in shoes which is a little bit problematic and maybe makes him a tweener Uh, at the very best case scenario he's a guy that comes off as instant offense off the bench he's intriguing to me but more likely his draft range is 30 to 50. Nico Mannion the freshman point guard out of Arizona that was another prospect that a number of people thought might be a lottery pick in this draft coming in he certainly had the hype coming out of high school and and you know, a little bit like Jaden McDaniels, the production was so poor that it raised some serious questions about whether he he was really going to be able to make it the next level. The difference is that Jaden McDaniels has the physical tools, I think, uh, to to excel at the NBA if he works out some of this other stuff, and and Mannion doesn't. He he just really. Uh, had a problem with his lack of quickness getting by defenders and on the other end he was getting abused on the defensive end and so if you can't get by your defender and if everybody can get by on you from you and you're going to shoot 32% uh, from the field you know the fact that he can see the floor which I which I don't doubt that's that's a lot of red flags uh, to put up against you and why he slides to forty six on our board. again, if is there a chance that he could go in the first round? Yeah, I, I think there's a chance. but i I definitely think that it seems like more and more teams have cooled on him to the point that this is probably where he's where he ends up at forty seven, another Cassius, Cassius Stanley, freshman wing out of Duke, who had an okay, you know, freshman season, you know, 12 points a game, five rebounds a game, shot 36% from three. He tested off the charts at the NBA Draft Combine. One of the most explosive leapers in this draft uh, is actually like you know a fairly good shot blocker for a player that's a wing. Um, he's old for his class. He's 21. His wingspan is six seven. He measured six six and a quarter uh, in shoes. Uh, those things are against him. And I just think overall basketball IQ, pretty limited for a player his age. If he was 18 or 19 and done this, then I think that teams may have looked at him and seen him differently. But because they didn't, um, he slides a little bit in the draft. At 48, Jay Scrub. Been talking a lot about him in our podcast lately. And Scrub uh, certainly is the Juco Player of the Year is worthy of being talked about. Um, He's gotten significant buzz over the past months. The team's wondered a bit whether he's this year's draft sleeper. He's a scorer. He's got good size for his position. He's a good athlete. Has a quick first step. Can finish above the rim. He can play and defend both backcourt positions. Jump shot a question mark. Shot just 33% uh, from three-point line this year. And, you know, just, again, he did this against the level of competition that's inferior to what all these other college players uh, were doing and what would it look like if he had been in college basketball I think those are the big question marks there was a major rumor that Portland was looking at him at 16 they actually ended up trading this pick to Houston and so I'm not sure that Jay Scrub is going to end up being there uh, at, at 16 Boston's taken a look at him a couple of times and and could be this this is the guy that I was mentioning that could end up You know, going up in the first round. I think most of the scouts that I talk to, though, think that he's much more appropriate as a second round pick. At 49, it's Sam Merrill, the shooting guard senior out of Utah State. He's 24 years old. So he's got that going against him in a major way. Had a big time senior season for Utah State. Does a little bit of everything. High basketball IQ. Some teams actually think he could be a point guard in the NBA, which certainly helps uh, at, you know, 6'5 and uh, you know can really shoot the basketball, super high basketball IQ, not sure who he guards. That's a major question. And as uh, David Locke has pointed out before, at his age, at the age of 24, going back and looking at the history of prospects at that age that come to the NBA, it's, it's not good. Uh, you know The track record is poor. You would think given all their maturity that they should be able to step in and play all, right away. But I think the answer is that typically there's a reason why they're not uh, there. Okay, we're going to fly through these last ones at 50. Marcus Howard, the the big-time scorer out of Marquette, who only measured, unfortunately, 5'11". If he was 3 or 4 inches taller, maybe 4 or 5 inches taller, given his deep shooting ability, his fearlessness, he probably would go higher. But he's sort of like a shorter version of Jimmer for Dad, and I think that scares a lot of teams. Killian Tilly. Uh, the big man out of Gonzaga, Sr., whose career was really marred by injuries and probably would be 20 spots, maybe 25 spots higher in this board if he had not struggled with injuries throughout his career. Obviously can stretch the floor, uh, but it lacks length and, and you know, there's just so many questions about his durability. He slides to 51. Skylar Mays. shooting guard senior out of LSU at 52 smart cagey can knock down shots knows how to make plays for others not an elite athlete another guy that's a little bit old for his class got a really good feel for the game shot the stick he could could stick in the league he shoots 40 percent from three Um, there's things to like about Skylar Mays game but I'm a little bit concerned at 53 Tyshawn Alexander the senior shooting guard out of Creighton, has a super high basketball IQ, shot it well from three, handful of scouts who thought he can probably play some point guard at the NBA, has a high motor, defends multiple positions. Uh, Again, this is a guy I'm a little bit surprised, isn't rated a little bit higher on draft boards than he is. Uh, 53 is where he ended up landing on our big board. I think he probably should be a little bit higher. At 54, it's Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, the guard out of Kentucky, sophomore. Had a really good sophomore season, actually, for Kentucky. Um, shot it well from three. Uh, was a good scorer. Um, plays with a lot of energy. Has a crazy wingspan. He's 6'3", but has a 6'8 wingspan. Uh, it's his lack of elite athleticism. He's not really a point guard. And there was questions about his ability to finish at the rim. Those are the major question marks for quickly at 54. Jan Madar. Comes in at 55. The guard out of Israel plays for Maccabi. And scouts that were heading to Israel to scout Denny Avdia came away impressed with his gritty, high energy play. He's a difference maker on both ends of the court. I think that's clear. But he lacks size, he lacks elite athleticism, has a shaky three point shot. Those are the major red flags uh, for Madar. At 56, it's Reggie Perry, the Mississippi State sophomore center uh, who actually had a really strong sophomore season. Uh, for him, one of the most improved players in the country. He's an elite rebounder, can score in the paint. Uh, maybe he could be a small ball type center in the NBA. Was super foul prone, bit undersized, still emerging his perimeter game. He's at 56. Abdelay Indoy uh, has an incredible 7-3 wingspan for a guy that's a wing. Uh, he's six seven with a 7-3 wing. Uh, shot 44 percent. Um, from three uh, which I think is really interesting he was a good passer as well average four assists the game he's been slow to progress offensively as as far as it comes to scoring the basket um, but he does so many other things well um, that I think that there are question marks again about whether he could ultimately end up translating as a three and D prospect in the NBA at 58 it's Yoli Childs the power forward senior out of BYU Had a big-time career at BYU, averaged 22 points a game, nine rebounds a game, uh, shot 48% from three, though that's a little bit fool's gold because he didn't take that many um, shots. Uh, He's clearly an offensive talent. He tested actually pretty well athletically at the combine. He's only 6'7", but he had a 6'11 half wingspan. Um, His free throw shootings, question marks, and that questions whether he's shooting, who he defends, another big question mark, which is why he's sitting kind of at the bottom of the draft. At 59, Karim Main, uh, who played uh, in college in Canada, uh, is a guy that some teams are intrigued on uh, because he's a good athlete. He rebounds well for his size, has great length, has a knack for passing the basketball. Um, Competition he played out was pretty low, uh, sort of like juco low but played pretty well for the Canadian under eight nineteen team as well. Just an intriguing late second round pick. At 60, Ashton Haggins, the Kentucky guard who gets it done amazingly on the defensive end. His offense really cratered this year. He only shot 25% from three and questions about whether his defense is gonna be able to make up for that struggle on the offense. Well, that wraps up our big board, 4.0, our final big board of the year. Again, you can follow along at nbabigboard.com where you can read the scouting reports, stats, uh, for all of these players, as well as our mock draft 3.0 that's coming tomorrow. And just a reminder, I'm also gonna do live breakdown with David Locke on the draft, on draft night. We'll start about 30 minutes before the draft. We'll go through the entire draft. David Locke and I will be breaking down things. Brad Rowland uh, from Locked On Hawks will be with us as well, as well as every Locked On podcast host. Uh, talking about their reaction uh, to the 2020 draft. Should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. David Locke's a great host. I think we're gonna, it's going to be great if we're going to be on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, on Twitch. Um, so make sure you follow along on Locked On NBA, as uh, podcast, Locked On Live, and uh, join us for the draft on draft night and look forward to seeing you back here on the pod tomorrow morning uh, to listen to my final mock draft uh, of the year. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Aloha.